Hey guys, thank you for watching online all over the world. We are honored that you would watch LifePoint Church Services. Our mission statement around here is pointing people to a Christ-centered life, and we want to hear how that's happening through these sermons. So we would love for you to reach out to us through Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and tell us how God is moving in your life. Also, if you're a part of this service, but, but you're not close to a local campus, we want to help you get connected to a local body. Please reach out to us, and we will recommend some great churches in your area for you to be a part of. Again, thank you for being a part of LifePoint Church Online, and we hope God blesses you. Amen. All right, well, if you're a guest with us, you hit the jackpot because uh, of this is your first time. Of all the times, you know, and if you're, you may already be cynical about church. You might be already coming in and saying, all they want is my money. Well, lucky you, we're talking about money. Uh, and the next two weeks, we talk about money once a year in November around Thanksgiving, just as a, a, it's a great reminder of all that God has given us. We are thankful to him. He's the giver of all. And so we are thankful for his many gifts in our life. Uh, but yeah, you hit the jackpot. You get to come on and you're like, I knew it. They're going to ask me my money. Well, simmer down. We're going to get through it. Okay. Uh, now I heard a story that uh, a plane pilot flying over East Tennessee mountains. He, uh, he, he, he's, he says to his co-pilot, he says, see that lake down there? I grew up on that lake, fishing in a boat on that lake. And every time I'd see a plane flying overhead, I would say, man, I want to be flying. Now, every time I fly over that lake, I look down and say, man, I'd love to be on that boat fishing. <laughs> contentment is what we're talking about today. And contentment can be a very elusive and elusive pursuit. Like nailing jello to the wall. It can be hard for us to grab a hold of and, 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 gra and grasp. And, and a lot of times we run after something thinking it's going to give us contentment. We get it. And then we see that it failed to give us the fulfillment that we had hoped that it would give us, right? And oftentimes leaves us more empty than when we didn't have that thing, whatever it is. And so, uh, so contentment is this big thing, that, that uh, elusive thing that we've got to really grab, grab, a, grab a hold of. Now, uh, it's, it's like the story, there's, this is cheesy, but two teardrops floating down the stream of life, right? One teardrop says to the other, who are you? Uh, I, I'm a tear from the girl that didn't get the guy. And, but who are you? I'm the tear of the girl that got the guy. <laughs> it's, a, uh, it's all about perspective. Contentment is really all about our perspective and how we uh, uh, see life and how we see the blessings of God and all that thing. Uh, Benjamin Franklin said, contentment can make a poor man rich. Discontentment can make a rich man poor. And so we're really going to wrestle with trying to grab a hold of being content. And our, our culture is one of the most discontent cultures ever, right? I mean, don't believe me. Look, look at Look at our uh, our debt ratio, right? Look look at our consumer debt ratio. I mean, it's through the roof. Uh, all, credit card, I mean, everything's through the roof. We are so discontent. Matter of fact, we have a advertising industry that their entire job, the way they make money, is to make us discontent. They put these commercials out there. It's like, here's the brand new detergent that'll get your shirts wider than ever. Right here's the new car that's got you know it can it's got the additional hoverboard with it right like all this stuff it's like you don't have what you need you got to have this then you'll be happy right it's some I think the stats are that 
3,000 advertisements a day in American seas on average. 3,000 that we see. Billboards, commercials, YouTube, skip this ads, all that. By the time our children are 20 years old, they'll have seen over a million commercials. That's nuts. This entire industry saying, you don't have enough. You need to get this. Wait, you mean to tell me the iPhone has two cameras? I got to get that. It can teleport me to Nashville? Great. I, I get a new cable package where I get 7,000 channels that I'll never be able to watch all of them. I need that. Right? That's our culture. That's what we do. That's who we are. We, we are constantly discontent. And really discontentment isn't just with stuff. It's, it's, it runs through a lot of things in our life, right? It's places, right? It's places. I think it's on average people live in one spot for five years. They think the next place, the next place is, will be where I really want to raise my kids and where I, with the home, they'll be perfect. And I'll get to that next place. So I'm going to move to that next place or, or it's a job, right? I, that next job, that job that, that, that I need and I want, this isn't it. I got to get to the next one. We're just restless. We don't, we, we're not settled. We're not content with where we are. Where's that, where's that next thing? Or divorce rate. You look at marriages, right? I mean, I'm going to trade in this old model for a newer model. Now you get on down the road and you say, wait a minute, I'm having the same problems with a newer model than I, that I was with the older model. Maybe they ain't the problem, right? We have this discontentment that runs through our hearts. And if we don't kill it, it will kill us. And our country screams, our culture screams, you can't be content with the way, the way you are. You can't be. That, surely you're not content. You have to. You need this. you got to have this. you gotta, you got to seek this and get better at this. In our passage today, we're looking at uh, Philippians 4, if you've got your Bibles. Philippians 4, 10 through 13. And here is Paul. Paul is writing this thank you letter to the Philippians, to the church in Philippi. They had given him a gift uh, to support his ministry, and he's writing them this thank you uh, letter uh, to the church. And he's writing this letter from prison. So he's about to give us a different way of living. So here's a man falsely imprisoned, uh, falsely accused, possibly awaiting execution at, 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 at the hands of uh, terrible uh, uh, ruling governors, ter- terrible authorities, uh, unjust judges. And, and here he is talking about how we can be and find contentment. I, I think Paul has earned the right to be able to speak into our lives on what it means to be content. Writing from a prison cell, rationed food, dirt floors, I think he, he has something to say about contentment. So let's read what he says, starting in verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, so before we talk about what contentment is, I want to 
briefly talk about what contentment is not. Uh, contentment is not laziness or complacency, right? This is not, well, I'm going to be content in the Lord. I'm not going to get a job. <laughs> that is not contentment. The scripture talks over and over about hard work, and, and hard work is a thing that honors the Lord. And as Christians, Bible-believing Christians, we have a responsibility and the right to begin pursuing circumstances, bettering our circumstances, Working hard for jobs, promotions, uh, all of those things. So com- contentment is not complacency. It's not laziness. It's not just sitting on our tails and, and doing nothing. We can work hard to better our circumstances. And I want to speak a word, too, because I know we've got some single folks in our church. And a lot of times for a, a, a person uh, who is single, they get this contentment line a lot, right? If you would just be content dating Jesus, you'd be all right. But I think it's a great example because uh, single folks, it's okay for you to seek out a spouse, a mate, a, a date, right? And I don't, guys, it's okay for you to put on some deodorant, brush your teeth, get off that PlayStation, right? Get you a date. Girls, it's it, it, you know, yoga pants and sweatshirt might not be first day to tire, right? Like, you can work hard to, like, present yourself, right? Seek a spouse. Seek a mate. It's okay. But here's where it gets off is when, when that becomes what consumes us, when seeking a spouse or a mate is what consumes us. Because maybe God continues to speak no to that over your life, and you have to trust God. Say, okay, I... God, listen, God is sovereign. He's in control. He knows if, when, who you are going to be married to. So this is where you trust God. Those things can't consume you, but it's all right to, you know, smell a little good and go on a couple dates, right? It's okay. We can pursue that. We just can't let it consume us. Now, uh, in that, I do want to say to single folks, that doesn't mean you can drop your convictions, right? You can't, if you're a believer, you can't say, well, there ain't any hotties in the church, so I got to get outside of the church and find me a lost girl and flirt to convert, right? And no, you, you can't do that, right? Yeah, that would be dropping conviction. You got to hang tight, right? Be content with the Lord. He's going to bring you that godly man or woman into your life. No missionary dating allowed, all right? So, uh, so, so th- th- all that, this can, so what is contentment then? What, what are we pursuing? What is contentment? Contentment is an a inner rest or peace, essentially of, of knowing that you are right with God and trusting that God will take care of you. It's this inner rest and peace, trust that God is provider God and he will take care of you. And that he is enough for you. Essentially, it's believing. He's sovereign. He's in control of everything that happens. And he is the giver of all things. And so what he has given us, being content with what he has or has not given us. This is what contentment contentment is. And so it's really having our focus on the kingdom of God and on serving him not on money or things, letting the kingdom of God and and him consume us. So real contentment isn't based on what happens to you. It's what happens in you. 
Uh, and our bottom line that I want you to walk home with today is it's, it's not about what you have. It's about what you love. It's not about what you have. It's about what you love. And so a shift of focus, a shift of priority, what do you love? It should be who do you love? And that should be Christ should trump all the other wants and desires in our life. And so, and, and, and so if your focus is on you and your greatest desire is on stuff or money or popularity or things, then you're, you're going to be out of sync in all areas of your life. You're going to be disproportioned and in, 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 in the scales are going to just, you're just not going to be content. You're going to be constantly chasing some kind of contentment. But if your focus is the kingdom of God and your greatest desire is the glory of God in you, in your family, to the nations, then you will have that contentment in Christ, that, this, uh, that elusive contentment. When, you, when you, your heartbeat is that I want Christ and God to be glorified in my life and with my stuff, with everything he's given me, and my pursuit is for the kingdom of God to advance in the world, then everything else is peripheral. And we can have contentment because our hope and joy is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And so no circumstance or situation can change that. So if God gives you a fat paycheck, right, he gives you material gain, he gives you stuff, you have the right perspective to say, that's not going to change me. I praise God. Thank you for giving me this. I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to use it for your glory, discipleship, evangelism, uh, gener- my, being generous, hospitality. I'm going to use it for kingdom purposes. Thank you for this. I'm going to use it for your glory. And so having the right perspective and no, no situation or circumstance is going to change that. This is also true if God doesn't give you stuff. If he leaves you financially poor. If ramen noodles is all five of the major food groups in your life. If that is where you sit, then being able to look at at God and say, it doesn't matter what I have cannot be taken from me. The presence of God, relationship with God, my salvation cannot be taken from me. No matter how small my paycheck is, no matter if I've gone through job loss, no matter what comes or what happens in my life, my joy and hope and contentment is in the one thing that can never be stripped from me, namely salvation of my soul. So that's where contentment is found because that's where our joy is found in Christ in Christ alone. So commitment transcends circumstance. No matter what happens to us, no matter what someone does to us, our assurance remains steady in the Lord, remains steadfast in God. So whatever may happen in our lives, and that's what Paul is saying. He, he, he's saying you can be content in all situations. It doesn't, doesn't matter if your candidate loses or wins. It doesn't matter if you get a raise or lose your job. You can be content no matter what happens in life. Because your contentment and joy and hope is not predicated on circumstantial or worldly success. It's just not. Our hope is in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying in this letter. Now, now he, he's writing, and, and the church in Philippians were, they, they delayed in sending a gift. And Paul 
subtly mentions that they were delayed in sending the gift to, to Paul. And he says, I don't, it doesn't matter what delayed you, whether, you know, and we, we don't know that, whether they didn't have the, month, the cash, a gift, maybe they didn't have a Western Union, right? They couldn't get it to him. Maybe they didn't know of Paul's need. It doesn't matter. What matters is Paul says, thank you for the gift. I'm thankful for it, but I was content without it. That's what he says. He says, I'm thankful for it, but you need to know that's not where my contentment is. I'm thankful for it, but I'm content without it. And that's what Paul is saying. This is where this is the kind of contentment that the body of Christ should have. Paul here, he's trusting God's sovereignty. And he's trusting God's provision. He knows that God is able to take care of his needs, all of them. And so the scripture, when it says God gives and God takes away, Paul says, no matter what side of the equation, that equation I find myself on, God is still my anchor. I still trust him. He's still my hope and joy and rock. He's all for me. And so when, when God gave Paul abundance, when, he's, when he supplied him with a lot, he, he learned to live in prosperity. Now, I know a lot of us is like, God, teach me that lesson, right? Uh, this was Paul. He's learning to live in prosperity. And, and, but here, here's the thing. like Prosperity can be a, a spiritual dangerous zone because what prosperity does for us is it provides a, a false contentment that props us up and makes us feel like we are content, but really we're not content. And, and it gives us this, this insulation with material things so that we no longer sense a need for a fulfillment of Christ. So in essence, we use our money, resources, whatever to, to pad us, protect us, and so that we don't really feel like we need Jesus. And this is a lot of people that you know, like they use the resources that God gives them to shun God. You've heard people say, I don't need God. I've gotten everything I've got on my own. I've worked hard for this. Oh, yeah. Who gave you breath in your lungs? Who gave you legs to walk? You did it all on your own. Who gave you that drive? Who gave you life? But that's a whole other sermon. We'll, uh, here's the deal, man. J Jesus often taught of this because he said, he said that it's easier. He said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter into heaven. And why did he say this? He said because rich people, which let me pause for a moment and say that's all of us. Everyone in this room is probably in the top 1% of the world. Every one of us, rich people, begin to insulate our lives with worldly comforts, and we lose sight of our need for Jesus. You start slipping on your relationship with Christ. You start neglecting time with him. You start backing out of just personal holiness and worship. Why do you do that? Because you value your job more than you do your time with Jesus. And in essence, you are saying, I, I don't need him. I need my job. I don't need him. We 
this, the two gods in America, huge gods in our culture, are money and sex. And we're talking about money now. We're talking about sex after the new year. That these things wrap their tentacles around our heart and try to strangle out every bit of spiritual life from us. And it, these are sins for us that so easily entangle us and rob us of joy. So that's why it's important for us to fight for uh, gospel contentment rather than a fake worldly comforts, but that we would have gospel contentment. So, so Paul was content with plenty, but Paul was also content with little. When there was more month at the end of the money, when he was looking at late notices and, 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 and when he didn't have anything, he says, man, I, I knew what it was to be content with little, with nothing. That's what, that's what Paul is, is saying. He's saying, when I had nothing, I still trusted in Jehovah Jireh, which is God the provider. My hope and contentment is still in him because I know he's going to take care of my needs. Listen, nothing will rob you of more joy than chasing the Joneses, keeping up with the Joneses, right? No, no, no nothing will rob you of more joy. And, and it is the, the American dream, chasing the American dream at the expense of your soul or your family is a fool's game. It's a fool's game. And it will kill you in the end. Now, now let, me, let me read to you because I, I, I thought this was one of the most encouraging pieces of this passage when Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. Now, don't, don't miss this because Paul is saying his ability to be content, no matter what the situation, was an ability that was learned. That means that at some point he, he may have struggled. He may have had some discontentment. He may have wanted to hold tight to material things. He may, he may have wanted uh, to look at the churches and say, why ain't you sending more money? Like he, He's saying, listen, this is a learned thing, which is encouraging for us. And a, another uh, just argument for progressive sanctification. Every believer, if you are in Christ, we are being progressively sanctified. Every day, looking more and more like looking, living, thinking like Jesus Every day, more and more like him. This is progressive sanctification. And so he's saying that this contentment thing is learned. So that's encouraging for us because when we're like, how oh, my, my, my car is not good enough, my house is not good enough, my, uh, my paycheck's not good enough, my, all these things, we can begin to say, okay, I got some room to grow here. And this is part of the progressive sanctification, my walk with Christ. I'm growing. I'm learning to be more content and be more like Christ. And this is why our theology is vital, because if God is ultimate, stuff will not be. If he is sovereign, if he's in control, if his kingdom is our greatest aim, then our material gain will be things that he has gifted us with to fund that gospel-centered kingdom going. They would not be the things we put our hope in. So we focus on his kingdom. We focus on him, him being sovereign, him being provider. And if, we, if God puts us in a crappy situation, right? If, if we are on, on the down and out right now, you begin to trust God because you are not there by accident. 
Now, God may be building up, training up your faith to prepare you for something in the future so that money and stuff and things won't steal your joy or, 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 or discontentment won't rob you of joy. So we trust God in the peaks and in the valleys. And, and whether we're here or there, we say, God, you are our rock. You are the, the stable never-changing, never-moving rock that I stand on. All my hope and joy and peace and contentment is found in you, whether I have a ton or I have nothing. You are my everything. You are my all in all. This is contentment. It transcends our circumstances. It transcends our situations. It comes from a complete trusting in God, but it also comes from complete trusting in the mission. We put our eyes and focus on the work he has for us to do. When we are focused on his mission in the world, then we don't have time to be focused on trying to go after other pursuits. We, don't, we have a greater, a bigger purpose, a bigger reason to be living, not trying to get White picket fence, 2.5 kids, American dream, that our vision, purpose, and mission is far greater than the American dream. It's the kingdom dream, and that, that is that Christ is honored and exalted and glorified among this nation and among all nations until he returns. That's our mission and vision and purpose. And when our eyes and hearts and lives and everything is focused on that mission and vision and purpose, do you see how trivial then trying to accumulate wealth becomes? Do you see how trivial then living in fear of the worst things that could possibly happen to happen is? So we begin to trust God now, I want to read to you, this is Matthew 6, because I think that Jesus reiterates this idea. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let me see it, say it again. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. All what things? Well, if you back up, it says, whatever you eat, whatever you drink. Whatever you wear, your basic needs. God is saying, you focus on the kingdom of God. You focus on the mission of God. You focus on your personal holiness. You focus on your role in, in pushing the kingdom of God and advancing it to the kingdom of darkness. And I will take care of your basic needs. I will take care of you. This, this Again, do we trust God or do we trust Uncle Sam? Do we trust God to provide for us, take care of his people? This is a trust. It's a trust thing. Now, I do want you to notice that he says he promises to supply our needs, not our greeds. Right? He's not saying, you seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to get you that fat, flat screen you've been wanting your whole life. You'll be watching football games in HD 4K, right? It's not what he's saying. He's saying, I will take care of your needs. Your basic needs, I will take care of you. Now, 
for us, most of us have far more than our needs, right? I mean, we live in relative luxury. We drive cars that the seats heat up and cool down. <laughs> we have lazy boys, right? We get home. We prop our feet up. We, we live in relative luxury. We have more than our needs. This is where perspective would help us a whole time because I know a lot of us focus on what we don't have. But I would encourage you. This is why, again, we will push you going on a mission trip out of your context because I would love for you to go into Thailand and go into Community 110, which is right across the street from our church. There's, this, there's a college here, and there's a slum uh, community less than a mile down this way. And, and literally, you walk over what's called a klong, which is just basically this disgusting river of Lord only knows what's in that thing. Like if you fell in it, you would just say, take me, Lord. I never want to, whatever I'm going to catch in this, I don't want to live with. Just kill me now, right? So you walk over this into the slum community where you'll meet families of 10 people living in one-bedroom apartments. And that's, you have to see those kinds of things to get your eyes off of what you don't have. You need to begin thinking what you do have. I read this story this week about a Jewish man in Hungary, and he goes to his rabbi, and he's complaining. He's like, Rabbi, I got a family. There's nine of us in one bedroom, and it's driving me crazy. The rabbi looks at him, and he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Do you have a goat? Yeah. I want you to take the goat in the house with you for the next week, and I want you to live with the goat for the next week, and then after that week's over, I want you to come back to me. The guy's like, what? Just do it. So he goes on, lives with the goat for a week. He comes back a week later, ticked. The, the goat is filthy. It, 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 it craps everywhere. It's, it's eating stuff. It's driving me crazy. The rabbi says, okay, well, now I want you to go home. I want you to kick the goat out and live like that for a week. The man comes back after a week. Life is beautiful. It's just us nine in the house. Right? We no longer have goat crap everywhere. and Perspective is everything. You're beginning to see what you do have as opposed to what you don't have. This is how contentment is found. What are your eyes on? i got to have that. i got to get that. That will make me happy. That, that's fool's gold, man. It's dangerous. It's dangerous for your souls. But it's better to look the other way and say, God, look at what I have. I have a home. I have clothes. I have food to eat, money to spend. I can go to the movies. I can. I, I got all of these blessings. Look at what I have. Look at how good I've got it. That's, a, that's what contentment would do. It would begin to take your eyes off of you and, and put it on, onto Christ. Now, I, I, I'm going to preach more on the actual tithe and things like that, giving and stuff next week. So if you skip, I know why you did. Okay, uh, But I, I, I want to talk just a moment about it because I believe believers are commanded by Scripture to tithe. Tithe is a 10% of our, of our income, and part of tithing is 
this living on mission, serving the Lord, using what he has given us to be a blessing back to him. And, and that's not just money. That's ta- talents, gifts, abilities, and resources. All that he has gifted our children, everything he has gifted us, we are to turn and, and give back to him. That contentment leads us to give generously Regardless of our situation, regardless of our circumstance, and, and if we're called to tithe, as I believe the scripture says we are, that tithe serves as a concrete reminder of who owns it all. And so in tithing, you're in essence saying to God, God, money does not have my heart. You have my heart. And so I realize that all of it, 100% of everything you've given me is yours. Here is a concrete example of me giving back to you to show this is not my joy. This is not my God. You've told me to do this. I'm going to do it with great joy and generosity and gladness of heart. Scripture says God loves a cheerful giver. In essence, those who give cheerfully are those whose hearts aren't wrapped up in dollar bills. They're wrapped up in the mission, the vision of God. And, and, and to think that God needs your money or this path. Listen, I'm preaching to you stuff that I'm doing, all right? So it ain't like, uh, if, if, I, like if my heart was, man, they just all want our money. I, listen, I'm, I got to do this too. I'm tithing too, right? It, this is, a, this is a spiritual thing. It's not like we want to collect your money to build a bigger building. That's not what we're doing here. What we're doing here is I want you to have joy in Christ. I want you to live life to the full. I don't want false gods to be tangled around your heart and strip you of contentment, strip you of life. I want to cut those off so you can live. And most people get bogged down by this right here. Most people. Most believers. We'll get bogged down by this right here. Now, I think contentment, because uh, a lot of people think, especially people with, with, with little, think, well, if I got more, I'd give more. No, you won't. That's not how it works, right? If I had a dime for every time I heard someone say, when I win the lottery, I'm going to give the church a whole lot of money. Well, we ain't got any of that yet, all right? Listen, when you get more, you don't give more. Who you are in poverty is who you'll be in prosperity, Your heart does not change by giving you more money. It won't. So what? you have to change your heart. You're not going to change by getting more money. You're just not. That's why all the lottery winners, you do the statistics or whatever, and they're all bankrupt within a number of years. It's not enough. It's not enough. And so, so we have to learn this, this contentment no matter where we, if we have little or we've been given a lot. And contentment expresses itself in constant gratitude to God. Like uh, if, you, if you find yourself a content person, you're going to find yourself a generous and grateful person. They're generous and grateful to God. Why? Because they're content. Because it's not money that satisfies them. They're not chasing some American dream. They're chasing the kingdom and vision and purpose of God. Now, I want to read to you uh, this last passage uh, in in the text because this is uh, one of the most misquoted scripture in all the Bible. Verse 13, Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Let me tell you what this verse does not mean. 
Okay? This verse does not mean that if I write Philippians 4.13 on the bottom of my shoes, that I'm going to be able to beat Usain Bolt in a foot race. This does not mean that if I quote this thing a few more times, God's going to give me extra touchdowns in a football game, right? No matter how many times I recite this verse, I will never be able to play center for the Memphis Grizzlies. Never. So it doesn't mean a literal, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. In context, Paul is saying that No matter what happens in life, I can be content through all of it. No matter what comes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So if I'm in prison and I'm riding on dirt floors and I'm eating rations and I'm barely surviving, I can do all things because Christ strengthens me. And that that is not my fulfillment. And a pursuit of something else is not my fulfillment. Christ is my fulfillment. Or if he gives me a lot and I'm eating in homes and and drinking with royalty and I'm living the high life, that is not my my fulfillment. I find my fulfillment in Christ and in Christ alone. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can continue to fight for the only thing that matters, the kingdom of God, my personal holiness, my personal exaltation of Christ, and then my spreading the fame of Jesus to the world. I can do all things because it's Christ who strengthens me. This is not a plea for more sports Uh, athletic touchdowns, whatever goal score, this is our heart that no matter what comes in our lives, we can do it all because Christ is the one who strengthens us. Dollar bills don't strengthen us. Material wealth doesn't strengthen us. American dream does not strengthen us. 401ks do not strengthen us. Insurance, life insurance does not strengthen us. The gospel, Jesus Christ, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. So come what may, bring it on. Let the gates of hell bring all its God because our rock is Jesus and we will not be shaken. Our rock is Christ and we will stand firm until he returns or calls us home. We are content in him. Bring it on. Now I want to read to you one more passage right here. As, a, as an encouragement and challenge for us as we, as we go out. And then, and then we're going to pray and then take communion together. But I want to read this to you. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6. Just, just let, this, let this sink down deep in you. Let the word do its thing. Listen. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take, cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But for those who desire to be rich, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money... The love of money, not money, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness, 
Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith, church. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. He is our contentment. We can face anything the world throws at us because he is our solid rock. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we need help with this probably more than most things because our hearts are restless all the time. Thinking of the next thing we need, the next place we want to go, what our needs in our lives are not being met. I pray, God, that you would let us settle into contentment because of Jesus. We have been given life in Christ. We have been given salvation. Our inheritance is not in this world. It's in the one to come, along with the the presence of the Father, in everlasting joy. So God, let us take our eyes off of these worldly comforts and put them onto heavenly comforts. Our eyes would be fixed on Christ, not on material gain. Father, I pray that the tentacles of greed and discontentment and American dream that so subtly wrap themselves around our hearts, would you chop them off with authority, with the sharpest sword we know, that's the word of God. We need freedom from this in our culture, Father. We need you to move and open our eyes, give us perspective, and give us the gift that is contentment in our Jehovah Jireh, God, the provider. And we know that you are sovereign in control of everything. Every leaf that blows across the ground does not do so without your say. And so every situation and circumstance we find ourselves in, we know that you are sovereign over it. So let us trust you. Rip the flesh and the sin, discontentment out of our heart, and let us trust you all the more. For some of us, that's going to be taking that step of tithing, being obedient to the tithe. I pray, God, that you would show us that it's not, you don't need our money. You want our hearts. You want our hearts. So, Father, move us towards contentment. Give us the gift that is you, our eyes fixed on you, living for your mission and vision in the world. We love you, Father. We praise you. In your name we pray. Amen.